Welcome to God's Playbook with your host, Father Rico Passero. It's a 20, 10, 5, touchdown! Touchdown! Let's play ball. Friends, welcome back to God's Playbook. The last three days we've been looking at Eucharistic Prayer 1. Today we're going to look at Eucharistic Prayer 2. It's the shortest of the four main Eucharistic prayers, and it's a spin-off the Roman canon that we have been looking at the last three days. So today is just a one part on Eucharistic Prayer 2. Eucharistic Prayer 2 is an option for priests, but never to be used on a Sunday. So if your priest uses Eucharistic Prayer 2, you can call the liturgical police on them because they shouldn't be using it. It's only to be used for weekdays or uh, perhaps if they're in a senior home or a hospital or something. This isn't meant to choose a shorter one just to get it over with, but rather it it, uh, includes all the important aspects of what the Eucharistic prayer must use, but this is not to be used on a Sunday. So as was in the Eucharistic prayer one, the posture of the people is that of kneeling in humility as the priest prays this prayer. So he starts with his hands extended, just as we talked about in Eucharistic Prayer 1, with palms facing up, signifying that he is raising the people's prayers up to Almighty God. He begins the prayer by saying, You are indeed holy, O Lord, the font of all holiness. So once again, it's suggesting that we are giving homage to God, for indeed he is holy, and he is the fount of all holiness. So all holiness comes from God. Then the next part, he moves his hands to face downward. So his palms are facing down upon the gifts of bread and wine. As he says, Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall. So this is significant because it takes us back to the Old Testament, where God rained down manna like dew upon the ground. So the people of Israel, who were freed from the slavery to Pharaoh, were blessed by God as he gave them bread from heaven. So this connection, which is not only biblical, but rich in theology, suggests the same thing is to happen upon these gifts that are offered at Mass. So that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As he says these words, the priest uses his right hand to make the cross over the gifts of bread and wine. So it's very obvious what we're asking, so that they become the body and blood of Jesus. And we've talked about this before. Not a symbol, not a sign, but the true presence of Jesus. Then, as he bows his head slightly, he says, At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, He took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is where he lifts the host. It's the same words in all four Eucharistic prayers. These are the words of Jesus given to us in the Gospels. Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. Again, the priest raises the host, which is now consecrated. The bells are rung. And the people are to venerate Jesus. 
Again, I say aloud, my Lord and my God, or priests may say it under their breath or inaudibly. You are encouraged to pray that yourself. My Lord and my God, the beautiful words of St. Thomas. Then, as the priest places Jesus back on the paten, the priest genuflects. So again, you're already kneeling, so you can just bow your head or continue to have your head bowed if it's already bowed. Then, he says, in a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying... So again, similar words as used in Eucharistic Prayer 1, but a little bit different. But it still says that he gives thanks to God and then gives it to his disciples. So this part is the same. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The priest then raises the chalice, now with the consecrated blood of Jesus inside. The bells are rung, and the reverence from the people ensues. The priest may say, my Lord and my God, or my Jesus mercy, whether out loud or under his breath, and I encourage you to do the same as you venerate Jesus at Mass. Then the priest will genuflect. Again, you can bow your head since you're already kneeling as well. Then he will say the mystery of faith. And just like we learned in the last few days, the people's responses are the same. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Or when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Or... Save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. So whichever the three responses are said, you are to say that from your heart. And then the priest continues with arms extended, palms again facing heaven, signifying he lifts the prayers of the people up. So the priest will say, Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. So here, the priest is saying on behalf of the people that we celebrate the memorial of Jesus' death and resurrection, we offer it to God, and we receive from God the bread of life and chalice of salvation. It is God's movement, not human beings' movement. This is not magic, not hocus-pocus, the movement of the Holy Spirit. So we give God thanks that he has allowed us to be worthy enough to receive him and to be in his presence at Mass. The priest goes on to say, Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. So this is the prayer of Jesus from the cross. Father, that they be one, just as you and I are one. So this idea of unifying us, it is through Jesus' suffering and sacrifice on the cross that unifies us because of the salvation of our sins. The priest then continues, Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity together with Francis, our Pope, and blank, our Bishop. 
So in my diocese, it's Gerard. In your diocese, he would say the first name of the bishop or archbishop of that diocese. And then he goes on to say, and all the clergy. Once again, we see here in this stanza that the mass is to be celebrated for everyone, not just those present in the church, but we are praying for the salvation of the world. This next section allows the priest to mention if there is a mass intention at this mass, the person who has passed away by name. So he goes on to say, Remember your servant, blank, whom you have called from this world to yourself. Grant that he or she, who was united with your son in a death like his, may also be one with him in his resurrection. So I always use the first name of the person because last names are meant to separate us from one another. Smith, Jones, Pissarro, etc. Notice how last names are printed on the back of players' jerseys to separate one player from the next. But on the front of the jersey is the logo because the important thing is we all play for the same team. The less important thing is the individualistic approach of each athlete. And so what's very important here in the Mass is that a first name is used and Mass can be offered for up to one or two people depending on the Mass. And so the priest can insert their names there as we pray for them in a very particular way. And so it's important that we recognize that they have passed away and that their death is united with Jesus' death. But then we ask that God unite them with his resurrection. So this idea of life after life is so vitally important. The priest then continues this last part of the Eucharistic prayer. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Beautiful, beautiful words that again are based in sacred scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. This idea of those who fall asleep in the hope of the Lord's resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. This idea of the light of the face of God signifies just a foretaste of what Moses was able to receive when God allowed him to see him as he is. Moses' face shone like the sun and had to cover his face because it was too much for the people to even look at Moses. And Moses had looked at God. So the light of God's face signifies that they are in the presence of God forever. What a great blessing. And please, God, may we all experience just that. Then the prayer goes on. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with St. Joseph, her husband, with your blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. So here we ask God's mercy to come upon us, and then we once again pray a very short version of the Litany of the Saints. We always ask the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Universal Church asks for the intercession of St. Joseph, and then depending on the parish, you might use your parish patron saint added there or the patron saint of the diocese. For me, I belong to St. Joseph's Church, so Joseph is already mentioned. But we would say Catherine of Alexandria because she is the patroness of my diocese. So again, depending on what parish and diocese you belong to, those saints may be used. Also, if it's a feast day of a particular saint, 
then that saint's name is inserted there. And so as a result, we just had St. Augustine a few days ago. So on Monday when I had Mass, I used Augustine in there. And so these are the ones that we know definitively through proof of God that are in heaven, which we call canonized saints. And so we say that we want to be co-heirs to eternal life. We recognize they're already there. We're hoping to one day attain that as well so that we can praise and glorify God through his son, Jesus Christ. The priest then lifts the chalice and the paten, or the host itself, and he says the doxology, through him and with him and in him. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And we, as the body of Christ, say together, Amen. So again, friends, the priest is only to say those words, not anyone else. If there are multiple priests at the altar, you'll see that they all say that, but that doesn't mean that we should be saying that too. Just the priests who are celebrating the Mass as the presiding priest and the con-celebrating priest, the priests who are also at the altar, okay? The deacons don't say that, and the people don't say those words either. That's reserved for the priests alone. And so this concludes the second Eucharistic prayer. Comparing it to number one, it definitely has a lot of beauty behind it, um, but what is also important is that we understand that it is shorter and is often used at weekday masses where there isn't a special day uh, as a solemnity or feast day of a saint, etc. So as we continue to study now two of the first four main Eucharistic prayers used at Mass, may these words not just be familiar to us, but may the richness and the power and the beauty of what the prayer is asking touch our hearts as we long to receive Jesus in Holy Communion. For God's Playbook, friends, I'm Father Rico. God loves you and so do I. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us using any of our affiliate links in the description below via Buzzsprout, Ko-Fi, or GoFundMe. Thanks, and God bless.